1: Hey, it's Stu in a car phone from New York, first time, long time, huge fan of the show. Love this show. I'm a big women's sports fan. My daughter actually plays lacrosse. She is committed to Northwestern. I'm her coach, our, our travel team. We were, we were national champions, not once, but twice, back-to-back years, that's right. I have more rings than Aaron Rodgers. No big deal, though, uh, enough about me. This is supposed to be about you guys, and a little thing I like to call constructive criticism, all right? Stash it away in a file because the show is great. I've listened to every episode Well, I've listened to a couple episodes. I haven't listened to every episode. I'm busy. Okay, but I listened to part of one episode The one you did with Gino Auriemma. I mean just crushed it heard it on Twitter My phone was on mute. Anyways, you should talk more about lacrosse and golf uh, because listen There is a lot of great female golfers out there. You have the Corda sisters. You have Danielle Kang. The Corda sisters are tearing up the LPGA. They really are. And Kang is fantastic. All right. So just for me. All right. And just a little advice for you. There hasn't been enough lacrosse or golf. Okay. And when you talk lacrosse, feel free to talk about my daughter. All right. And me. But again, enough about me. This is about you. That's all I got for you. Uh, Keep up the great work. See you, buddy.
2: Welcome to Off the Looking Glass, I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smitana. Thrilled to hear that John from New York loves, likes, the shows great, it's, a, the, it's okay, the show's okay, it's great, I love it, I'm glad to hear that. I'm excited to talk more about
3: golf and lacrosse in season two of Off the Looking Glass, Kate, because like we mentioned last week, this is our season finale, this no. is our final episode. 10 no. weeks has gone
2: by so fast. It is the season finale. And we will be back in your feed soon. But before we do, just you and I, we we text a good amount. You know, I think we're friends. I don't know if you feel that way. No, we are friends. We are friends. Okay.
3: I would still talk to you even if we didn't do this podcast. That's how I know we're friends. That is
2: how we know. That's how we know. So, yeah. So, we're texting and I see this tweet and it's something you and I have talked about. It's a tweet from The Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. And The Hollywood Reporter covers all Hollywood news, things that have been sold. And the tweet is talking about a new show that NBC has bought. And here is the synopsis for this NBC show. Now retired, Billy Rydell ends up back in his hockey-crazed Minnesota hometown, reluctantly coaching a girls' high school team. <sighs> Okay, should we lay out all the reasons why
3: this tweet got absolutely roasted on Twitter or do we think
2: our audience already knows what we're going to say? I think that in the spirit of it being a season finale, almost like, but way more entertaining and exciting than a class semester's final class. I mean, it, it's, it's way more exciting than that. But if we, if we use that comparison, I would assume that you and I could just let that tweet live for our audience and they know all of the reasons that we would say that that tweet is a heaping pile of shit.
3: And if you are reluctantly listening to this podcast because all the other podcasts by your favorite male podcasters have already been listened to and you want to maybe feel better about yourself for having reluctantly given it a shot, we do have a great episode in store for you today. including an interview with the GOAT, right, Kate? Cynthia Cooper. The GOAT! Which I goat. feel like you've now said about, like, three different former professional women's basketball players, but that's okay because we can have more than one GOAT. And Cynthia Cooper gave a very surprising answer to our age-old question of, is there Yukon
2: privilege? We still have not given up on that thread. Ten episodes no. in. Season finale, it wouldn't be right to not at least mention it. We also have on the show today, on the season finale, did we mention it's a season finale? I think we did. Jessica is bringing <gasps> what an do? extra extra. That's what you're doing. Will you say it in the old timey extra extra voice that is inspired the name of that segment? Uh, we're gonna do an extra
3: extra C and uh, talk about the difference between baseball and uh, softball, see? <laughs> but Professor Kate, <laughs> so- what if I forgot to hypothetically finish the extra
2: extra and now it's past the due date? We can think we can arrange some extra credit, okay? okay? Like maybe you do more extra extras on season two, or maybe you write an essay about a, a special film that maybe we watch. I mean, there are ways that we can fill in the gaps here. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna side text you about
3: my okay. extra credit as friends, because as we're friends, friends we but are. we also do text about work too. We we do cross that boundary sometimes, but that's okay. we we're, we're we like to have fun, so we have a great episode in store, and you should stay tuned for the season finale of Off the Looking Glass.
2: And I'm I'm just gonna ignore the part where you said that I had three different goats on this season. I'll just ignore that. I mean, you have. (laughs) (laughs) It's a true statement.
4: Hey, this is Leija Clarendon. And the first time I remember Having an epiphany about how men and women's sports were treated differently it was when I met a random fan. It was a guy who had attended a WNBA game for the first time. And they were complimenting me on how like quick we were and how fast we were and like how physical the WNBA was. Like They were like, yo, y'all were like hooping out there. You were getting after it. And I was like, Yeah, what did you think we did, skip up and down the court and frolic and flowers and like do each other's hair? Like we're basketball players, we're professional athletes, but I realized that when someone goes to an NBA game, they expect to see the best athletes in the world, they expect quickness, speed, jumping, athleticism, but when you look at women and women in sport, we don't expect that culturally, we don't view us through that same lens and it's that cultural stuff that's so deeply ingrained in the way we view women's sports that ultimately leads to how we invest in them, how we put resources behind them and uphold them with the same kind of like status that we do men and I have that epiphany over and over and over again when very well-meaning people come to compliment me about how dope it was to watch our game in person and I'm like yeah I know because I do that shit every day and we're the best.
2: guest today is the reason people were raising the roof. This was with the Houston Comments at the Compact Center where she won back to back to back to back WNBA titles. She won two in a row at USC before she went off and ran the European leagues for more than a decade. I I can't even lay out all her career highlights here because we'll be here all day but here's a few of them. Four-time WNBA Finals MVP four-time WNBA All-First Team. She's a Naismith Hall of Famer, a Women's Basketball Hall of Famer. And before we started talking about GOATs, she was the GOAT. She's now the head coach at Texas Southern. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on, Cynthia Cooper.
5: Cooper, guard, Houston Comets. Yeah, hi. What's Why'd you pull that? a four three on the break last night? <laughs> well, I was open. Tina that. was open on the block. Yeah, but you know she's money down there. Why'd you take it? I know I wouldn't have. Because I was My open. My mama says because is not an answer. Your mama's right. Shoulda but... hit Tina down low. I promise I will next time. Assuming there is a next time. The way I see it, you owe Tina an apology. So it was my first experience acting. And so I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But literally, whenever I opened my mouth, Kyla Pratt would literally cut me off. And I was like, oh, this is real. Like, it really helped me to get into the character. I think one of the funniest things, I think Tina had a sandwich that she took a bite of. She had to take that bite maybe 30, 40 times. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. By the last time, she was like, really? I have to take another bite? <laughs> um, she, at first, she was like, oh, yeah, I have a sandwich and you don't. But after that 30th time, she was done. She was, and Kyla was was great. She made it easy because literally she was cutting me off every time i said something it was hilarious that's awesome.
2: yeah i guess in the beginning you're like cool i have a sandwich and then you've eaten seven sandwiches and that's that's not what you wanted it was funny so take us back cuz i mean i've you know i've read your player's tribune piece i was paying attention back then cuz i played hoops you're running these these european leagues for a decade and now the w starts up and the abl passed on you i mean i'm telling you things you already know but then you get to this point where you're in the WNBA and you're just killing it. And you find yourself in a Nike commercial and you're shooting this Nike commercial compared to where you were five, six years before playing in whether it was Parma or Spain. What was it like when you were sitting there in the late nineties and you're like looking around and you're like, this is where I am now.
5: You know, it was amazing. And I will tell you, it was an honor. Like so many people say it was an honor, but remember, I was in Italy away from family and friends for 11 years And my 10 years in Italy was amazing. They were amazing scoring titles, you name it. We accomplished it, but it was different in the WNBA. When We got to the WNBA. First of all, I said to myself, you know, this is the tail end of my career, but I'm giving hundred percent every time I step on that court, because this is a dream come true for me to play professional basketball in America, in front of American fans, and then in Houston where 16,000 fans filled the arena at the compact center and chanting and raising the roof. And it was everything and more that I ever dreamed of as a professional player in America, playing in a professional league in America. It's, you know, you dream of the crowd going crazy when you hit the game winning shot or you knock down the free throw or, or, a game changing steal. You dream of those things. You see them on ESPN. You see them on all of these other networks. But when you're a part of it, it's amazing. And you never want to disappoint. I never wanted to disappoint. I always wanted to bring my A game. I always wanted to give the fans, the, the fans both in front of the television and in the stands exactly what they paid for.
2: We were talking to Nancy Lieberman a couple weeks ago, and then the, you know, the WBL came up, this league that ran from like 1978 to 81, like right before your time at USC. And I know there were probably other iterations I'm forgetting of women's professional leagues, but for you... Was there a moment where you find yourself late 80s, early 90s, and you're thinking, is it possible I'm going to play this amazing career and I'm going to be this one generation that doesn't get a domestic U.S. Women's Professional League? I mean, did that? Did, were you thinking those things and like wondering how that could possibly be?
5: Well, you know what? It's, it's so funny. I did. I thought that this opportunity, the WNBA, would pass me by. First off, the ABL passed on me. I called them first and they were like, Now we have enough guards, like we're good. And I'm like, okay, I guess I have to go back overseas. Then I heard the rumblings about the WNBA, but I wasn't sure. I thought it might pass me by, right? I'm on the tail end of my career. I've been overseas for so many years. I didn't think I would have the opportunity to showcase my game, to show what I had been doing so long over for so many years overseas. So I did think it would pass me by. And when I finally got the opportunity, I literally took advantage of every single opportunity that the WNBA gave me to play basketball in America. You should have saw my workouts. Like I'm in the gym before practice. I'm in the gym after practice. You're talking about bringing my A game. I brought my A game to practice so that it would come natural to bring it to the game. It was that type of intensity and passion. And really, I really felt like you, they were doing me a favor by allowing me to come back to America. And play the sport I love.
2: I was reading up on just the the formation of the comments. And I know on Knuckleheads, you talked a little bit about this, like the pairing of Cheryl Swoops being, you know, the original franchise player, the cornerstone piece. And then you you're added, but you're you're a bit of an unknown quantity to some folks in the W. And then you draft Tina Thompson. Can you take us through when you started thinking, oh, okay, this is this is not your standard trio that's founding a franchise.
5: Yeah, you know, the first thing I thought of when I got over here, you know, I'm playing overseas, so I didn't know a lot about Cheryl Swoops when I got into town. Um, I did my research. I knew she national champion, MVP, so I knew who she was by the time you know the season was starting. So what the WBA was trying to do was make things even because Cheryl was going to miss the first season because of her pregnancy. So they were trying to make things even by bringing me on board and then giving Houston the first-round draft pick. So we mess around, and I know when I came to the WNBA, I knew nobody knew what I was about. There were a handful of people who knew because they had played against me overseas. But really, no one knew what I could do, who I was as a player, and what I had been doing for so many years to keep me still in the game at age 34. So I was, I think I was a surprise, but I think the big surprise was two years later when, you know, you have Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops is now back and in great shape. Now you have Tina Thompson, the first ever draft pick of the WNBA, and she's coming into her own. And the fact that we were, we were able to bring that together and show what we could do on the court. I don't know if you guys know this, but that was the year we had the best winning percentage of any professional team ever, 90%. We were 27 and three. So one surprise was, hey, you know, who is this Cynthia Cooper kid? And who is Tina Thompson going to become as a professional player? When is Cheryl Swoops going to be back? Then I think the second surprise was, how are they going to work together? Are there enough balls? How how are the personalities going to to mesh or or not? You know, um, and I think we proved that we could come together and play when we have that common goal, and that's to win a championship.
2: So you have Cheryl, who has like the the air swoops, and then you have a shoe with Nike, not like a signature shoe, but you have a shoe, and you're all in the Little Rascals commercials, and it feels like this moment where there's a ton of investment in the women's game, whether from Nike and then the NBA and in the media to a large extent. But then you fast forward to 2008, I believe, right, when the Comets folded can you walk us through like that period of time where it's like you feel like you've turned this corner on women's sports and then a different moment where I imagine you must have been wondering what the future of the W looked like
5: yeah you know we were riding a high for the W for everything that that we had accomplished and we really felt like that we were the foundation early on of the WNBA and, and that we were able to really secure a fan base and some fanfare you know, some energy, some positive energy around around the sport of women's basketball in America. And so, you know, here we go, 2008, I think two things happened. You know, we hadn't won a championship in a couple of years. And then that was around the same time some of the owners, NBA owners, start to kind of separate themselves from some of the WNBA franchises. And so they, we had to go out and find different sponsorships. And, and I think that's where the Houston Comets kind of fell along the wayside where they had trouble bringing together enough, a group of people to keep them around here in Houston. So, you know, it was very, very, it wasn't disappointing. It was devastating. I, I really didn't know what had happened. And my phone was just blowing up. Like, I mean, I, what's going on? So I, I, you know, listened to a couple of messages, the television, they're trying to get in contact with me. And I find out that the Houston comments have folded. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, the type of legacy that we had built in the W, I, I thought would save us. We would find a way, you know, maybe maybe move to a different city and move back. I don't know. But find a way to keep the comments around. But it didn't happen. And and we had to, you know, just kind of succumb to the reality that there were no more Houston comments.
2: Yeah. I mean, there there were some lean years there in the middle for the W, at least from the outside looking in from like 2008, 2009. What's the future of this league going to look like? And now you're looking at the last few years and this injection of media attention, and it feels like there's another corner being turned. And and to your point, it would be mighty nice to have the Houston Comets still around right now as a cornerstone franchise.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It, it would be. But I, I will say, I love where the WA is right now. I love the promotion. I, I think we got away from that. If we got away from the marketing. We... We we didn't feel like it was as important to invest that type of money. But when, when you have a new league and new players and this is it's new for America, you know, you go overseas, they've they've had their league for 30, 40, 50 years. We just started in the WNBA. We have to continue to teach and educate the fan base on the talent that you see when you're when you're witnessing a basketball game in the W or in in college. That we are talented, that we are entertaining, that we can play some ball. You know, We that that is the type of uh, thing that you have to make sure that you continue to teach your new fan base.
2: Because when we were talking to Nancy, you know, she was just mentioning, looking now at like a Paige Beckers or even some of the W players, and she didn't get to play in the WNBA the way you did. Even though you were on the tail end of your career, she really didn't have that same moment. And she was like, I'd give a little piece of my pinky to be able to play in my heyday on ESPN the way some players can play now. You definitely had that, but you didn't have all of that. And now, now you're looking at the next generation and there's even more momentum being built when you see the deals that Paige is getting at UConn and some of the endorsements that have come to Bird's Way. What, are, what is your thought when you look at this next generation and like what's coming to them?
5: I love it. I love it. I'm not jealous. I'm not bitter. I love it. We laid the groundwork, we laid the foundation for that. That's exactly what they deserve. It's exactly what they're supposed to be getting. I love it, love it, love it. Give them more, give them more. I I just think you can't say that you wanna lay the foundation and be a pioneer and, and leave a legacy and then be upset when they're getting exactly what you want them to get, what you should have gotten years ago. And listen, I'm gonna tell you, Cynthia Cooper at 25, Cynthia Cooper at 27, I was a beast then too. And a little quicker. (laughs) <laughs> Just I, <laughs> and I, so I know what I brought to the table. I know who I am as a player, and I know what I gave to the W. And because of that, you have players getting a lot more now, and I'm all for it. Like I am their biggest cheerleader. I am in their corner on their team. Let's go. <laughs>
2: so we we have this standard question we ask about UConn, and we've tried to ask most guests to like be as fair as possible. Got a little dicey because Muffet McGraw weighed in and then Gino responded to Muffet, and it was a whole kerfluffle. The idea was just like, and and you're in women's hoops, so you you get it, like that. UConn, of course, is amazing and has won tons of championships, but there's also this thing in the media, especially like a male-dominated media at times, where it's like, look, we're here for one story. We have room for one story that we're gonna tell. You know, what's it gonna be? And it's like, it always is UConn, so it's like this monopoly that's gotten carried away. That's my lead up. It's, it's always tough to ask people this question, so I'm just stalling right now. As someone in college basketball, do you think there's a bias in the media toward
5: UConn? I think there's a bias in the media towards great teams and teams that um, the media knows the fans will support and the fans want to see. And I have no problem with the media zooming in and focusing on those teams that can best represent our sport. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with when it was Tennessee, it was Tennessee. When it's UConn, it was UConn. When it was Notre Dame, it was Notre Dame. And you saw the shot, you know, all over the world. My point is, I have no problem. If UConn is winning 75, 100 games in a row, they should be the focal point.
2: What about when they're, when they're not winning all the games in a row and they're still the focal point?
5: Well, when they're not winning, they're still the focal point because of the legacy. Like if we still had the Houston Comets, we would still be a focal point. Why? Because of the legacy we left behind. And so they haven't gone away. They didn't, they're not you know, uh, ranked 200th in the country. They're still in the top 10 and they've been there for years and years. And then look at the players that have come out of that program. Why not?
2: Jess, we are down this rabbit hole because we have now heard Cynthia Cooper, Ugh. the third GOAT to appear on this show, her answer about Yukon bias. And I think it's important on the season finale slash the last class of semester that we tally up where we have landed on Yukon bias. You want to do the honors? I will. So I think... I think we need to admit
3: we got a lot of noes. We got four noes: Renee Montgomery, Brianna Stewart, Shamiqueal Holtzclaw, and now Cynthia Cooper are our four noes. But on the bright side, Kate, we also have four yeses. Mm. We have Muffet McGraw. We have Simone Augustus. We have Kate Fagan. Yeah. And yeah. Jessica.
2: Sm- Do those count? Do those last two count? If it's us, Jessica are we, Smetana. Are we tied? So it's a tie. So we live to fight another day so it's four to four all right i mean onward am i right jess onward upward out of this rabbit hole the last few years especially probably going back what five years with becky and pop we've got women stars of of all generations that are breaking down like the glass wall if that's what you can think of it between this idea that men can coach women women can't coach men and where should women be allowed to coach you got becky with pop Nancy in the big three, you know, Sue was working with the Nuggets, Sue Bird. Neil Ivey at the uh, Grizzlies, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and we can probably name a a few more. When
5: Teresa Wetherspoon.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like there's just this floodgates of like, especially in basketball, being that pioneer sport about like, let's have women coach men, men coach women. What's your long term, like the impact you want to make? And like when you look at the future about like where you want to bring this love for basketball, like where do you see that going?
5: Well, I think next steps for me, you know, my dream job would be to coach in the NBA, to coach the championship, bring my championship mentality to an NBA team. I would love to coach and to teach and to motivate because. When I was growing up, I used to beat up on the guys all the time. So I guess I could coach them too. (laughs) So my thing is, I want to retire in the NBA as a a coach in the NBA. I think that would be great. I've played against guys my entire career. I know how to talk to them. I know what they want. I know the winning mentality. I know they want to be great. I'm going to teach them how to be great. Every day,
2: when you talk to guys in the in the NBA, or you know, even I know you were talking to like Q and the guys on on Knuckleheads, and what's your takeaway about if there are any still like barriers that some NBA guys have, or are there none at this point about like who they want to coach them and like what they're looking
5: for? I think the number one number one thing guys want they want to learn, they want to be great, they want. An advantage. Advantage doesn't come in a big package. It comes in a small package. It comes in a package that you go to work every single day. It comes in the little things, the little tricks that you learn along the way. The skill work, the precision of the skill work. You know, competing at a high level consistently, and where it starts, it starts in practice. So for me, the good thing about me is that I can always fall back on. If anybody questioning me, I'm a hall of famer. I've won at every level. I have four championships in a row and nobody has ever done that. So my teams have been successful. And as a part of those teams, I've, you know, been a key component of it. Right. So when I talk to guys, I talk to guys in championship mode. I talk to guys in getting better. I talk to guys, how you can make a difference on this team. What do you need to do to balance your game out so that you're difficult to defend and stop? You know, that's some of the things that I bring to the table and I bring this energy Every day.
2: <laughs> so the outsider perspective is from like me reading and no, you know, just watching your game is like your one scholarship offer is USC. And then you have to go do an open tryout for team USA. You're like the perpetual underdog. I mean, is that is that the story? And is that still something that motivates you? And how and what do you have to prove now? Like what now, now what's the next frontier?
5: I think every day I have to prove something. And because I I will tell you, sometimes I ask my players this, where's your chip? You know, they're looking for a coin. I said, no, the one that's supposed to be on your shoulder. The one when people told you you couldn't do something and that you wouldn't achieve something. Where's that chip? So when when you look at me, I'm a kid from Watts. I've traveled all over the world because of basketball. I love that sport. I owe that sport. I've traveled all over. I went to a 300, 250-player open tryout because i wanted to play with a friend of mine i ended up making a team she did not i bath in the bathtub in the hotel i'm doing everything three practices a day and i make the team because i never thought i would i never thought i wouldn't make the team i came there to make the team that was my goal and that's all i was focused on and that's been my journey right i've always only had one scholarship offer but so i owe usc Two national championships, we made it to the championship game, three out of my four seasons there. So I really feel like basketball has opened the windows of the world to me and I owe that sport a debt of gratitude like to give my all, to be passionate about it and to lay the foundation so that the next generation can have more. They don't have to start where I started. They can start somewhere higher as they should.
0: NCAA coaches, we know that male pattern baldness affects 50% of men over the age of 50. And with stats like that, there's gonna be way more cue balls screaming on the sidelines and holding clipboards than serious looking coaches with effective and luscious locks. Let's face it, it's wreaking havoc on your games. That's why it's time to let you in on a little industry secret. Introducing headset toupees. These are NFL-quality, pro-com headsets with a patch of champion hair, hot-glued right to the top. With headset toupees, you'll never be distracted again by someone saying that they're going to put turtle wax on your head. Keep it serious with headset toupees. Sure, it'll be obvious when you get upset at an official on the sideline and toss your headset, but generally, people tend to avoid pointing out obvious systems. That's why Carl Ravitch's hairstyle has remained unchanged for 25 years. Coaches with great heads of hair are far more likely to win championships. You think the Kansas Jayhawks won the big dance in 2008 without our help? Trust us when we say success starts at the very top. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial of headset toupees today. Use offer code CHROMEDOME to get 30% off your first 12 toupees. Headset pays a winning look for you, a winning look
3: for your team. Have you ever wondered why softball exists? Let me take you to spring 1972. Not the beginning of the story, but more so the middle. If you turned the dial in your Plymouth Roadrunner, you might hear Don McLean's American Pie, or a speech from President Richard Nixon, who has not yet ordered his cronies to break into the Watergate Hotel. Maybe you'd hear a news bulletin on the Equal Rights Amendment, which has just been passed by the United States Senate for ratification by the states. In Hoboken, New Jersey, just across the river from Manhattan, Maria Pepe, a 12-year-old girl, likes to play baseball with her friends, who all happen to be boys. One day, she decides to try out for her hometown Little League baseball team. You know, the one all her friends are on, It's called the Hoboken Young Democrats. Maria is an exceptional ball player, according to Young Democrats coach Jimmy Farina. She makes the team. But after only three games, the National Little League office in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, tells the Young Democrats that unless Maria is cut from the team, they will revoke the team's charter. It turns out other parents of Maria's teammates and opponents were not so happy about a girl playing baseball on their son's team. There was so much uproar over her playing baseball that after only three games, the heartbroken Maria Pepe quit the team. With Pepe's family's permission, the National Organization for Women filed a gender discrimination claim on her behalf with the New Jersey Division on Civil Rights. The National Organization for Women was also busy that year, 1972, working on a national campaign to pass a law that would allow women equal opportunities in education and sports. A little thing called Title IX. Maria's case, it went to trial. And during testimony, Little League Baseball argued that baseball just was too physical for young girls to play. Creighton Hale, an executive for Little League Inc., cited one study which stated, female bones can take less twisting, less weight before being crushed and bend less before snapping. Hale also argued that A girl batter standing 46 feet from the pitcher, the distance from the plate to the mound in Little League Baseball, would be slower in getting away from a beanball than a boy. The arguments that they used against it are insane. And this isn't that long ago. This is like the 1970s. Emma Spann is an enterprise editor for The Athletic. And in 2014, she wrote an article for The New York Times titled, Is Softball Sexist? and it was, oh, you know, girls, they could get hit in the face and then it would ruin their looks. It was
6: like if they get hit by a baseball, they could get breast cancer was an actual argument used against letting girls play Little League. It it was like coaches might not feel comfortable patting them on the butt was like another actual argument.
3: Yes, a grown man argued that if a girl was tagged out in the boobs during a game, they could risk developing breast cancer. (laughs) Despite these compelling arguments... Hale and Little League Inc. lost their lawsuit. The judge ruled in favor of Pepe, saying, The institution of Little League is as American as the hot dog and the apple pie, and that part of Americana should not be withheld from girls. The following year, more than 30,000 girls played on Little League teams. Despite the lawsuit and the passing of Title IX, 1973 didn't become a watershed moment for baseball-playing women, because despite the ruling, a completely different sport was still being promoted as baseball's female equivalent. Softball sort of originated as, oh, we'll let girls play this. It's
6: a kinder, gentler version. They won't have to run as far.
3: Softball, a sport invented by men in the 1880s, became baseball's female counterpart because it's, air quotes, a gentler version of baseball. But baseball and softball are not the same sport. Ola Dot Richardson, the two-time gold medal-winning Olympic shortstop and current women's softball coach for Liberty University, explains some of the differences between baseball and
7: softball. For softball, the ball is bigger. It is 12 inches in circumference as opposed to a baseball that's smaller. And for a baseball, they throw as pitchers overhand. And they usually throw from a mound. However, in softball, it is flat right, and it's a pitching circle. The mechanics of a delivery of a pitch are different. In baseball, it's overhand. And in fast-pitch softball or slow pitch, it is underhand. Usually the dimensions based on the age are 35 feet to 40 feet, collegiately and internationally 43 feet away from home plate in the sport of fast-pitch softball. And our pitchers can throw as fast is 74 miles per hour. I think a 70-mile-an-hour fastball is equivalent to like 110-mile-an-hour fastball for overhand in regards to the reaction of the batters. Now, the batters' boxes are shaped a little bit differently, but, you know, it's just narrower for softball than it is for baseball. And then when you look at for Major League Baseball, the outfield fences are quite farther because a baseball will travel a lot farther than a softball will.
3: Even today, when girls try to play baseball, they still face the challenges that Maria Pepe faced all those years ago.
6: Women have been sort of funneled into softball, pressured into it, forced into it, because when you get to a certain point, in a lot of cities, in a lot of towns, in a lot of teams, you're no longer allowed to play baseball. Or if you are
3: allowed, it's a fight. It's a huge legal fight. Dot Richardson's sports origin story begins with
7: baseball as well. One of the coaches of the previous baseball game, right before my brother's game, saw me. And after that game was done, he walked over to me. Uh, I was right behind the bleachers. And he said, uh, wow, you got a great arm. How would you like to play on my Little League baseball team? Are you kidding me? I'm like, yes. My prayers are being answered, right? But in practically the same breath, he said, well, we're going to have to cut your hair really short and give you a boy's name. We're going to call you Bob. I wanted it so badly, but yet not so badly that I would have to disguise who I am. And I said, sir, thank you, but no thank you. If I have to hide who I am, I just don't feel it's right.
3: After turning down the offer, Dot would become the youngest player to ever play in the women's major fast-pitch league. Maria Pepe was not the first girl to play baseball. Women and girls have played baseball as long as the sport has existed. There's evidence of women competing in baseball as far back as 1830, and who can forget the AAGPBL, in a league of their own. Today, women's baseball leagues can be found in the US, Japan, and many other countries, though the sport is never offered as an alternative to men's baseball at the collegiate or even high school level. Softball is an incredibly popular sport, one that attracts millions of views during the annual College World Series and the Olympic Games. Millions of young girls and women play softball. It requires speed, strength, technique, and skill. Softball is all of those things, but the one thing softball isn't, is baseball.
6: The existence of softball is not necessarily sexist. What's, what's sexist is forcing girls into it instead of letting them play baseball. That, that is the part that's sexist.
2: Thank you, Jessica Smetana, for the extra extra. Professor Smitana brings the extra extra.
3: I learned a lot from you this season, Kate, in terms of how to tell mm. a good story. I hope this extra extra was at least 5% as good as the stories that you've told. And this is how you close the loop on a bit, because you did something for nine weeks and now I did it. I learned from my yeah. t-
2: my professor. It, I, this, is, this is how you do it in the season finale or the... Last class of the season, but more entertaining and fun, mm-hmm, of course. Of course, but thank you. This this hit close to home because probably not surprisingly, I played well. It was bambinos because Babe Ruth was when you were thirteen, and I played bambinos until I was twelve. Baseball was my favorite sport, and then when I turned thirteen, it was made very clear to my family that I could not continue in little league, and if I wanted to continue, I would have had to file a suit. And I didn't want to do that. And everyone was like, just go play softball. And it's not that I don't think softball is awesome in its own right. It's just, as you so eloquently said, it's not baseball. It's actually a very different sport. So I was both glad and saddened to hear that this experience that I had was being replicated. Glad because it's like you never want to feel alone and that other people were fighting for this. But sad that like this is still happening, that that men and women are saying these like ludicrous things that have been proven throughout the years are ridiculous like women can't run marathons and then it's like okay well actually they kind of can and they're actually pretty good at it like oh women can't play baseball because they can't twist that hard well actually they can like these things get proven out to be ridiculous yes
3: and had you perhaps sued your local little league chapter you may have had a day at yankee stadium which is what Ooh. happened with Mar- to maria pepe in 1972 which i did not include in my extra extra but i had to tell you about it kate because i read a newspaper article from the hackensack record about her day at yankee stadium with some of the best as in most absurd quotes that i've ever read i thought it was going to go somewhere and then it just took like a hard left turn so i'm going to i'm going to read a couple a couple paragraphs for you right now At least some Yankees questioned yesterday don't agree with banning girls from playing baseball. Quote, I think it's great, Bloomberg said of Maria's love for his profession. She's staying out of trouble. When I was her age, I went around tearing down buildings and beating up little guys like this, he kidded, taking a bogus swing at a smaller male observer nearby. Should Maria be allowed to play in the major leagues if she wants to when she grows up? Quote, if she's good enough, sure. So I was like, oh, okay, wow, these professional baseball players, like, they're they're pretty progressive. Like they, they think a woman can play professional baseball. And then uh, they asked a couple other Yankees players, and the Yankees manager said, it would be awfully hard for the girl, the Yankee manager said. Baseball is a tough game. I have seen fellas get hit in the head. I wouldn't want to see that happen to a lady. And then, quote, You can get some awful scars sliding into second base. You should see the scars I have. I wouldn't let my daughter get those scars, end quote. Final quote, Kate. Quote, I'm not saying I'm against women's lib, which is what you say when you're about to explain why you're against women's lib. So yeah, Maria (laughs) Pepe had a day at Yankee Stadium. All of these like professional baseball Yankee stars met her and then proceeded to shit on her lawsuit to the newspaper of record at the
2: time. This did take a hard right turn. Why couldn't the Yankees just celebrate we, Maria Pepe? Do we need to turn all the this, field? Do we need to say all of this while she's still there? Like cut her head guys. <laughs> let's let's say the last quote from the Yankee coach in the proper voice. I'm not saying I'm against women's lib, uh, you hear? That's not saying I'm against women who women, see? But I wouldn't want my daughter
3: having a scar on her face because (coughs) I'm the father of Marla Hooch in A League of Their Own, see? It's like, oh, God, we're still doing this. Anyways, (laughs) Amazing Title IX was passed in 1972, I guess is is the closing point for me.
2: (laughs) Jess, we have reached it. We have reached the home stretch. We can see the finish line of season one. And the question is do we want to finish do we want to cross no. this line no, no.
3: I'm, I'm I'm nostalgic already I feel like we should we should thank everyone and then play the outro music from Saturday Night Live we should do that
2: we've got a couple things we have to tie up first being that we are still fighting for Gina Davis to come on this show and look I I would say I'm optimistic. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to give away any secrets. Yes, but I'm feeling really good about the possibilities. Let's just say there have, have
3: come to regret. There this. have been some updates on that front. We cannot confirm nor deny any of those things, but we are feeling very optimistic about a future episode of Off the Looking Glass, including our icon Gina Davis. Yes,
2: I feel less optimistic about a future episode, in, in, including Gina Emma on Off the Looking Glass. But the door is open, and we would like him to walk through it, and we will continue to extend the invite to him. And season two, perhaps season two, will bring uh, the double Gs, Gina and Gino.
3: <laughs> we should thank everyone who helped us we with should. today's episode. Thank you to Emma Spann and Dot Richardson for talking to me for this Extra Extra, and also to Jessica Luther and Brittany Crates for their... Awesome research on baseball and softball leagues. And we should thank Cynthia Cooper, the GOAT. Yes. GOAT times three. GOAT, GOAT, GOAT. For talking to us
2: about playing in the W and playing overseas and being the GOAT. Yes. Thank you for the moment of epiphany, which you heard at the top of the show from Lasia Clarendon. How about that? Minnesota Minnesota Lynx star dropping. Yes. Huge. I mean, we're just getting gets left and right here. You know, we got goats all day we got we got gina in the on deck circle possibly maybe she's maybe she's in the hole maybe she's not these are baseball metaphors that i'm throwing around here jess not softball baseball we also should thank you for not just co-hosting the shit out of this show but for producing it oh I thought you meant the listeners Mm. but
3: thank you I appreciate that I should thank you for being a delightful co-host why thank you and we should thank Carl Scott for putting all of this wonderful wonderful content together for everyone but we should thank the listeners also because without you there would be no show and we have been so overwhelmed with how many people listen to the show? How many people tweet about the show to us and message us and tell us they love the show? Um, it's just been very—it's warmed my cold, dead heart. Yeah. To, to see so much, so much positive feedback about *Off the Looking Glass*. Do you think
2: that it's warmed it to the part of revival your cold, dead heart? It's thawing. It's thawing. Okay. It is thawing. Yeah. yeah. We should also thank Nameless Numberhead, who has really brought the comedic genius all season long with our fake ads and Jeff from Austin and MNBA. We've got a lot of future tricks up our sleeves as well that we are already planning for season two. I am sad that season one is over, but it'll be exciting to answer the question of whether our sophomore season can trump our freshman season, which is a perpetual question for amazing shows that get introduced to the world and like ours. I mean this show is kind of the goat too.
3: Oh, Kate. Well don't cry because as I learned in episode one, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs>